In the back, um, I've mentioned this book a couple of times now about the Enneagram. Essentially a tool of self-discovery, right? Um, it's kind of like looking at how you're hardwired and how you view the world because not all of us view the world the same way. And so this book, we're going to do a book study on it. It's coming up in November sometime. I would encourage you to get the book and to read it. There's even a study guide you can get with it if you want to. Once you start reading this, it becomes slightly addictive and you're like, ooh, I wanna learn more, I wanna see more. Um, one of the best things I can say about it is it helps you understand how you see, how other people see, and I believe that it creates compassion for yourself and toward other people, right? When you understand how they see and respond to things and why a little bit more, it creates that, that bond just saying, oh, they see the world differently. I get it now. I understand. Um, it's a great tool for growth and transformation, honestly. So this book, there's a blurb on it back there on, on the table, and there's a sign-up if you want to be interested. Just, just be contacted about when we're going to meet in November because we don't have a date. We're going to look at the list of people. I'm going to contact everybody and say, hey, when can you meet? Let's find a time. We'll make the stars align. We'll all get together and talk about this book. And then we'll have a night, of course, at MTL where we talk about it as well. But it won't be as in-depth or as personal or as intimate. Anyway, all of that, and now we're on to tonight. Now, I loved the show Friends. Anybody else? No? Yeah, yeah okay, the show Friends. There's this episode where Jennifer Aniston's character, Rachel, is trying to bake something. She's trying to bake something, and she's horrible in the kitchen. She's awful. And so she's following the directions very carefully. She's trying to make an English trifle. And she's doing it out of this magazine, and the magazine gets wet, and the pages bleed together. And so she creates the most disgusting, awful English trifle anyone's ever had. Now, an English trifle, anybody know what it is? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, it's got a ton of layers, right? Of like lots of different good things. It's a dessert. It's a dessert. Rachel goes and makes like an English trifle that has whipped cream in it and like turkey <laughs> and like fruit and like grape, like all of these different things that are in it, these layers of just horrible, nasty stuff. So the deeper people go, the more grossed out they get. It was pretty bad. It was a great little episode. I'm going to tell you a story tonight that has lots and lots of layers to it. It's probably the most layered story I think I've ever encountered. And as I continue to go back to this story throughout my life, I keep seeing different things. You know how that is? Sometimes when you approach a story or you see something and you're at one age or you've only had experiences that kind of top off to this point, and so here's what you pull out of it, and then later on you go back, and it's like it has more to it. Or sometimes if you're looking at a story and you see it from the vantage point of various characters, different things come to light. So tonight, we're going to plunge into the depths of this story. I'm going to read it to you. I want you to listen to it. Then I'm going to get some of your immediate reactions, kind of group think tank experiment. If you're not comfortable with that, don't put your hand up. Don't open your mouth. It's cool. Sit there. Listen. It's okay. I won't let awkward silence go on too long. I can't do it. 
It's physically, I'm physically, it's, I'm incapable of allowing that to go on. So, sit back and listen to this story. It's been, this, it popped into my head like two weeks ago, and uh, I, I had the tears come in, and I was thinking, and I was driving, and I just want you to hear this story, right? Ancient story, parable. Here we go. Uh, if I can find it. Here it is. I got it. No worries, no worries. Some of you have heard this story before. That's okay. All right. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved far away. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him out into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the food he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at my home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and say, in quotes, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he set off to go home, back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, the other son, was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants what was going on. They said, your brother's back, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go inside. So his father came out to him, and he begged him. But the son replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours 
comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and partying, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. That's how the story ends, right there. Now, some quick questions. Group Think Tank, if you can handle it, if you're willing, it's all right. Did anybody identify with a particular person in the story? Anybody? Are you willing to share like who it was or why? Easily, the, the older brother. The older brother. <laughs> you know, you, you, it's hard to let that go. Yeah, you know, right? You, you know, nothing is due you. You have your inheritance, but, you know. How interesting, right? You feel, you feel you're due. Yeah. Older also. And not material do, go do, but how sad it is that someone would walk away, do all those things, and not under the best term, best interest. Yeah. You know, the only one to do is self-serving. Want to come back. It's just heartbreaking. Right. Hmm. Anybody identify with the parent? No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, yeah. I identify with the father being so joyous to the second thought that he was gone and he returned and how happy he was to have him back just soon again and know that he was alive. Totally. We just watched a show. Not that you guys might want to see it. It's called The Five on Netflix. It's interesting. The Five? The Five. <clears throat> It's about two brothers, and one of them goes missing when they're young, and then it's 20 years later. And it seems like possibly the one that went missing is still alive. And you get to see like the interplay between two brothers when they're young, when they're old, and like the imaginary. Like it's just so interesting to watch. And when I read this story and I think about two brothers being reunited, and I even think about my boys. I think if one would be that pissed at the other one, I would be like, dude, <laughs> come on. It would break my heart if he wasn't filled with joy. Right? If he wasn't to embrace his brother. Crazy. All right, so in that story, what do you think the obvious moral of the story is? If you had to say it. Because we're taught that every storal, every storal, every story's got its moral. If there's an obvious moral to this story, what would you quickly sum it up and say it is? Because I know what I've heard my whole life about that story. And I'm not going to say it here tonight. I'm going to say something different because I like that. But anybody? Or even a not so obvious moral? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a pretty fun one. Yeah. I hear you on that one. All right. So I want to uncover just a little bit for you before we read part of it again. Living in Israel for four months, 
you got to see a lot of interesting interactions among families. And I befriended a Palestinian family there, loved Suleiman. He was the man. Now, I got to read up about him. I got to see things firsthand. And one of the things that you needed to know about the culture that this story was framed in and told in and spoken in was that it was a big honor and shame culture. So if you picture a village, and you've got this village, everything was about bringing honor to your family and honor to your community, your tribe, your village. And the father was like the patriarch, right? Highest on the ladder. That's how it worked. So what you need to know about this story is when the son asked what he asked, it was extremely disrespectful. And for him to ask for what he wanted, the wealth, and for him to then move away, when they say in this story he was dead, he was dead to them. He was dead to his family. He was dead to their village. It was that serious. I mean, we would use the term like, I mean, like you're kicked out, um, you're disowned excommunicated, all of those kind of things. Like, you're not welcome here anymore. That's kind of what's going on through this disrespect and this shame. You bring disgrace upon this family. You bring it upon this community. You're out of here, kind of a thing. What's also interesting in this story for me is knowing, like, how emotions were. Like, the father didn't show tremendous emotion in this culture. It just was something that was almost like viewed upon as childish. Like you didn't run, you didn't like cry, you didn't hug, you didn't do those kinds of things. Now, what's interesting to me in this story is that you can read it, and I've heard people say this, they're like, oh, when it gets to this point, it says, from a long way off, the father saw him coming back, and he ran to him. And we're like, that's amazing, because we're pulling it into our culture, and we're saying, this is really cool. He was like looking for him, he was waiting, and he couldn't wait for him to get home to just like hug him and do it. Maybe, but there was another threat that was going on. Because for this son to return to this village meant that he would be met with all kinds of hurt and pain. This is someone who brought shame and disgrace. And when you came back from that place, you were going to be made to feel that. So they would do things to people who came back. They would definitely yell at you, scream at you, they would hit you, they would throw things at you. I mean, they would throw rocks, they would strip you naked, they would do things to humiliate you because you needed to understand the shame and disgrace and feeling that like you caused. And so this father running out to a son was protection. That's what it was. It was a father saying, probably what we don't want to hear, but some of us do, but some of us still don't. I'm not going to let you get 
what you deserve. We're actually going to break the rules on this one. Here's how it's supposed to go down, but I see him from a long way off, and I'm going to run out there, and I'm going to get him before anybody else can touch my boy. You know what I mean? It's that kind of a feeling. It's that kind of a thing. So then, yeah, there's another part of the story. But hang on. I just want to reread it to you one more time because I love it. So the son returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. One of the other interesting things was, like I heard that like a lot of times when, when this kind of an interaction might go down, or um, between a son and a patriarch, a lot of times the patriarch, I mean, you don't speak unless you're spoken to. You don't start first. And literally, this son, I mean, if this had really happened, he would have had to go through all the ridicule, all the abuse. He could have come to the house. He might have had to lay face down in the dirt for days before the father would even acknowledge his existence of being there, you know? And so this, this story just doesn't take the normal path. It doesn't follow the normal path. And what I love about it for me is that like it breaks those rules and it says, wait a second, no, 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 no. Love doesn't have to operate by the rules. Love doesn't have to operate by what you think like is the justice system or perhaps the economy, or how that all stacks up and those formulas shake down. And in our culture, I know, I relate the most to the older brother. Because <laughs> I read that all the time, and I just get like a little pissed. Like, just a little bit out of shape. Because if you're anything like me, I like to earn what I deserve, right? Because in the end, I like to think that like, well, no, I deserve that. That's why I got that. That's why that happened. I want to tell a quick story just about the older brother, but um, I, I was dealing with a real estate transaction, and we had to have some things fixed, and the things weren't getting fixed, and we had a week until closing now, and it needed to get fixed and it wasn't gonna get fixed. And so I started calling people. One of the hardest things for me to do in the world is to ask for help. And um, I'm asking all these people for help and I'm just like, hey, do this, do this, blah, blah, blah. And essentially, there was a lot of work that had to be done and it wasn't gonna be cheap and it wasn't gonna be fast. So I had this one guy call me and he said, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, okay, great. You, let's go over there, let's check out the materials, the work, the labor, all that stuff, like total it up, let me know, get me the bill, hand me the bill, send me the invoice. And he goes, no, I'm just gonna do it for free. And I said, no, you're not, like, you can't do that for free. It's not gonna happen that way. Send me the invoice, it's all good. And then he was like, no, 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 it's gonna be all right. And so he gets all the stuff, he orders all the stuff, he gets the work done. Ann and I are trying to text his wife, being like, where's his favorite restaurant? Like, we're getting radio silence. Like, it's not coming back. I talked to him, and I said, look, you honestly cannot do this for free. 
Someone didn't do what they were supposed to do. And now it should even cost more, is what the truth of the matter is. And so give me that invoice and let's make this happen. And he says, no, I want to do it free for them. I said, you can't. It's not fair. Like, it's not fair that you're stuck with this. And he looked at me and he literally said, what is it to you if I want to do this for her for free? And I was like, you suck. Like, I don't, I don't know how to like, I can't process this. It's not working according to like the way that I feel like I'm wired and the way that I approach the world. Because so often we expect the older brother's response. We like anticipate that. That's why like that younger son was coming back saying, well, I'm just going to have to get hired on. There's no way I can still be his son, right? That's like what we anticipate. We know that's coming. We understand how you earn things and how the system works. But man, when it happens, you're confronted with it. Like this guy literally texted me. I wish I could pull it out right now. He said, Phil, (laughs) you need to get better at receiving. (laughs) And then he put big caps, sucker, like that, like at the end. And he just said, like, you need to get better at receiving, sucker. And I was like, "Ah, that is tough. That is really tough. So back to this older brother just for a second in this story. The father does at one point, he says, like, get the ring, get sandals, kill the fattened calf, because part of the culture was, you know, you, you kind of get this calf and you feed it a lot and you get it nice and uh, plump and proper. And when the right thing comes along, you got a party that goes down and it's saved for something really special. And immediately what he starts doing is he protects this son. He brings him back. He doesn't make him go through any of the stuff. And then he says, because this kid's my son. He's my son. And he throws all of that on him. And the older brother gets to hear about it and says, no, man, like that, that dude's dead. <laughs> He's not your son. All the disgrace, all the shame, all the dishonor. And then he starts pulling up all of the stuff he's done to earn, right, the love, the party, the acceptance, all of it. He just brings it all up to the surface. I've been here. I've done all these things. I've been around. I didn't ask for the wealth. I didn't move away. I didn't blow it all. You know, it's like he can say all of that. And my favorite part, I want you to hear this. Uh, This is my favorite part. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. So what does the father do? The father goes outside twice. The father goes out to the younger son, and then they throw a party, and then the older son won't come in. And so the father goes out again to the older son. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. You never did it for me. Yet, and here it is, when this son of yours, that's some strong language. I love it. Because, I mean, he could have said his name. He could have called him his brother. But he really 
puts some distance in between there, right? But when this son of yours, he's almost saying like, I guess I'm not your son. Apparently, you never did any of this for me. And you did all of this for him. When he comes back after blowing your money, you celebrate. And then the father goes on to say, look, 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 you've always been with me. And he says, and everything I have is yours. That older son was trying to earn it all the time. All the time. And he never stopped to realize he already had it. It was already his. It was already there. This love in this story doesn't seem to operate by the rules of our economy or system of justice. It doesn't seem fair. I think that's super difficult for a lot of us who are used to earning, striving, working, and hustling for acceptance, love, belonging, any of that. It kind of doesn't stack up really nice. I wanted you to hear this quick little story that I thought was pertinent to show you how prevalent that feeling in our culture is. This is a true story. About a wealthy father who had a falling out with his son. In anger and humiliation, the son had left home swearing to never return. Months and then years passed, and the father ached to be reconciled back with his son, but he had no idea where he was or how to contact him. Since this was the era before blogs, internet, cell phones, and all that good stuff in Google, and yes, Facebook didn't exist. It's hard to imagine that time, isn't it? Man. The father had very limited options. So he decided on a plan. Money was no object, so he contacted the advertising department of the main newspaper in every major city in the country. He would take out the same ad in each one, and the ad simply read this. Paul, comma, come home, period. Son, comma, all is forgiven, period. Included was a toll-free number in case his son was out of money. The ad appeared across the country the following Sunday, and Monday morning, the phone service set up to field the call to the toll-free number, and it was overwhelmed with phone calls, all from young men named Paul, all hoping that the message was intended for them. We understand this story on so many levels, on so many different layers. That story of, okay, I feel like I've screwed up, but I know there's love. <laughs> I know it's there. Or like, man, I've been working so hard and I feel like I deserve it and I want it and I'm trying to get there, but I just don't feel like I have it, but you know there's love. This story for me has so many different layers and I just keep coming back to it and back to it and back to it again. This past week, I had to do a wedding in Aspen and thank God it was on Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? No, it was Monday. I don't know. Yeah. It was snowing the day before and super cold the day before and it was bright and sunny on the day I drove to Aspen. And I got to go over Independence Pass. I took Ian's car because it has a sunroof. Man, I love sunroofs. Um, 
And so I get to Independence Pass and I was listening to a podcast on the way there. And then I hit Independence Pass and I just turn on some music, turn on some of my music, good stuff. And I crank it up and I just hit the sunroof and I throw down both windows and I just drove Independence Pass. And I'm not one for leaf peeping or foliage. I don't even know how to pronounce the word. Like, I don't really do it. But I'm telling you what, on that day, driving that road with those views, I felt like this deep, profound sense of love that like, I didn't see coming. I didn't see it. And I came home and I told Ann, I'm like, I'm not just ready to buy an RV, man, pull our kids out of school. There's so much more to life. You know, like, it's one of those days when you feel like really, you're just down and it's like, oh, life. It has so much to teach us and so much to offer. There is so much love present. I woke up today and I did not feel that way, right? That's the reality of it. There's like this truth, and then there's like where we live. (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to grab a hold of that truth. I wanted to tell that story, though, tonight, because I feel like we live in that place. I've heard that often with love, there's no giver and there's no receiver, and that always makes my head hurt. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But what if it's really true? What if it's just as simple as that love is? Love is. It's present. It's constant. It's there. It surrounds you. The world is drenched in it. And most often, we miss it. Simply because we're working to get it. Or we're thinking it's somewhere else and we're chasing it down. It's like looking for love in all the wrong places, man. Like, it's just like opening your eyes and realizing it's here. It's here, and it's available. And man, you can like really step into it and grab a hold of it, if you want, if you want. That father came out to both sons If you can imagine the family, the household, the home as our world, like existence, that home is the place where love resides. Being alive is a gift and you're here and this is where love lives. It's here, it's around. There's no reason to earn it. It is yours, always yours, always. Now, I'm going to play a song before we go. I'm going to put the lyrics up here. Um, Partially just because I think it's a cool song. Um, I think it fits with this as well. And then I'll just say a couple more things, and then we'll close and be done. But I want you to listen to this song. Hopefully, it'll be not weird enough. There was some strange echoing coming out of this TV over here. Let me see if I can get it for you, though.
echoey. So I would say that story, lots of layers, lots of depth. I feel like the one thing I've tried to communicate for several, several years um, is a truth that I'm still trying to grasp myself, right? Honestly, when I talk most of the time, it's something I need to hear and something I'm thinking through. And I guess tonight I would tell you that you're loved beyond your comprehension. That the world is drenched in that love. And that most of the time we just aren't aware of it. And I hope that you can have eyes to see it, to experience it. That story, I've heard it said so many times, it's about God and how he loves us. You picture God as the father and us as the children. Um, when I, I've, I've also like talked about it in the sense of it's how we're, we should love one another. <laughs> like it's the kind of love that we're supposed to demonstrate and enact and put into like bodies in this world. Um, most recently when I read that story, it ends so abruptly with that older son not going into the party. And that really sticks out to me 
and hits home more and more with how I view life and how I receive love and how I expect to get love. And so I guess tonight as we end, I would just love. We know that story all too well, and I hate that it ends there. So I guess what I would say to you until next time, may you go and write a different ending through your life to that story, through your experiences and your personal encounters with people, like with how you personally receive love and how you give it to other people. May you write a new and better ending to that story. Amen. So, there you have it. There's the more to life for tonight. Two weeks from now, because we won't meet next week. It'll be the next week. It's October 11th. We'll be here, um, not doing an escape room, but hanging out and talking about something else. I would love for any of you that are interested in the Enneagram to read the blurb. Can I read the blurb out loud to you? Can I do that? So you get a little bit better clue of what this book is about. All right, so it's called The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery by Ian Cron. Cron? I don't know his last name. Anybody? Suzanne Stabile. Um, Ignorance is bliss except in self-awareness. What you don't know about yourself can hurt you and your relationships and even keep you in shallows with the divine. Do you want help figuring out who you are and why you're stuck in the same ruts? The Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system with an uncanny accuracy in describing how human beings are wired, both positively and negatively. In the road back to you, these authors forge a unique approach, a practical, comprehensive way of assessing Enneagram wisdom and exploring its connections with Christian spirituality, um, spirituality for a deeper knowledge of ourselves, compassion for others, and love for God. Witty and filled with stories, this book allows you to peek inside each of the nine Enneagram types, keeping you turning the pages long after you've read the chapter about your own number. Not only will you learn more about yourself, but you will also start to see the world through other people's eyes, understanding how and why people think, feel, and act the way they do. Beginning with changes you can start making today, the wisdom of the Enneagram can help take you further along into who you really are, leading you into places of spiritual discovery you would never have found on your own and paving the way to the wiser, more compassionate person you want to become. So, we'll read the book. We'll get together and talk about it. If you're not a reader and you're like, dude, I'll just show up at the MTL when you talk about it, that's cool too. <laughs> like, we'll talk about it here as well. But some people want to like, have the conversation. So this will be back on the table. Most likely in November, we could only push it back to early December because you don't want to get too far into December to talk about it. But that gives you like over a month to read this book, probably a month and a half. So it's back on the table if you would like. Otherwise, thank you guys for being here tonight. More dessert? Yes, please eat. <laughs> she, she hates to take home dessert. Yeah, so go eat a lot more. Eat a lot more. And we will see you on October 11th. Thank you guys for coming tonight. We'll see you soon.